Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me, as always, is our producer, Mason, a man who doesn't have an existential crisis whenever you tell him to turn up the AC. How are you doing today, Mason? I'm doing great. Uh, I do have an existential crisis about everything else. Though. Yeah, I'm certain that you do, but uh, let's try to keep it at a minimum today, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, today, there will be no Sean Campbell. He ran off into the woods or had a scheduling conflict. One of the two. We'll let you decide. And uh, we're here today. We got a actually a surprisingly big show. We're going to talk about the MLS All-Star, the events that are going on around it. Uh, there's some... Uh, comments made by the Mexican president, of, or the, I should say Liga MX president and uh, commission, MLS commissioner Don Garber. And we'll go over those because they were kind of interesting. And we also will be covering our thoughts on what the World Cup uh, qualifying rosters will be for the U.S. men's national team. That uh, For the window one, because there's so many windows. That's coming up on September 2nd. Those rosters should be released any day now, but as of the time of recording, and we're recording this pretty late on uh, Tuesday evening, uh, they hadn't been released yet, so we'll go with what we have. First of all, the St. Louis City Soccer Club uh, Academy is in MLS Next, which is the new academy-driven league to replace the U.S. Soccer Development League, and they're starting play coming up. Well, this Saturday, they got a game away against uh, the Chicago Fire Academy, at least for what was it, the U-17s? U- U-17, yeah. And the first home match will be September 4th against Shattuck St. Mary's, their academy clubs, we don't it, understand. It, it, it sounds like a private Catholic school to me, but I don't know. It's very confusing. There's MLS Next, which is... MLS taking over for U.S. soccer about the academies. In other words, all the academies all over the country have a chance to play in this organized sort of tournament format, kind of competitive. If they're willing to travel, they can sign up for this. Uh, what did we have? We got St. Louis City Academy. We've also got St. Louis FC Academy. Yes. And Lou Fuse as well. Lou Fuse. So there's three St. Louis Academies in MLS next. Not to be confused with the proposed, but not finalized, MLS uh, third division league that would compete against USL. That's probably for a higher level, say, when they advance out of the U-17 level, under 17s, uh, that would take the place of, say, a USL team that a lot of teams have incorporated uh, in the past few years. We'll have to see. We don't have any definitive words on that yet. It hasn't been formalized. And uh, they're not starting to pl- uh, start play for about another year. I believe that the project's for the fall of 2022. But uh, details are so sketchy right now, we don't know. Yeah. But something to stay on top of. Yeah, MLS D3, it's almost impossible to find anything concrete out about it right now. The details are so scarce. Um, but MLS Next, that's starting remarkably soon because it's only been... Has it even been a month since St. Louis City announced their academy rosters and their already I don't even playing? know. Yeah, I don't even know if it's been a month. Uh, but uh, big deal, big deal for City to have the academy up and running. They've got about three. You know, they got preseasons worth of training, roughly, with the new academy prospects, and then they get to go out and play competitive matches, uh, albeit in an academy setting. But already, you know, a year and a half before the first team even starts. 
two years in, these academy kids will have two years in the academy before the end of the season. Say there's injuries, say there's non-performers, there's a schedule crunch. We could see some of these academy kids playing on, you know, this Saturday or at home in a week and a half. We could very well see them come in in the first season, even if they don't start for the opening day. They could, you know, get their first uh, pro-level experience in that first season. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's really exciting to see. One thing, I hadn't necessarily made the connection with uh, the D3 League that is is not happening, that we don't know anything about. But um, one thing that I had thought of was, you know, it's about a year and a half, two years until these kids start play. A lot of them are going to age out of the academy rosters in that time. So we're going to see them play, but where are they going to end up? Are they going to get sold on? What's going to happen to them? Yeah, well, that's a good thing about being a, a fan supporting podcast rather than being loots fine and steel and the uh the administrative staff at city that'll have to figure this out on the fly and decide if they want to add under 19s to the academy if they want to start up a usl franchise and if this all falls through with the mls division three league that doesn't even have a name uh they're gonna have to do things on a fly and you know really quickly which they've had the luxury of not having to do so far everything with the covid pushback of a year they've had a lot of time to plan and that can make you comfortable with that uh, we'll see if things change on the fly how they'll adapt something to keep an eye on yeah luckily we just get to ask the questions we don't have to make the hard decisions <laughs> and then we criticize afterwards that's our role exactly. that's what we do <laughs> uh, we serve such a value to society <laughs> oh by the way if you hear any extraneous noises it's another steamy sultry day here in the midwest and uh, that's probably the fan our fan that you're hearing and we do not apologize it's sweaty enough business you know being a podcaster it's hard physical labor <laughs> lifting up a whole city and supporters <laughs> groups on our shoulders we need a fan truly we are atlas yes we're fans that need a fan but on to our first uh, topic of conversation this evening or tomorrow morning or whenever you're listening lovely listeners uh we've got the mls all-star events and actually this time i'm pretty excited because the mls all-stars are taking on the all-stars of liga mx long dreamed of from a lot of mls watchers uh it was announced it was supposed to be last year but of course you know disease got in the way uh but this year it's coming up uh, tonight, as we record on Tuesday, is going to be the Skills Challenge, probably the most exciting part of the All-Star activities, where you'll get to see eight of the best performers on each team pick that will decide to go out and try to, you know, pass directly, have touches, hit specific shots on goal for points, and then at the end in a countdown, try to hit the crossbar. A lot of the games that these players have always played through their whole life after practice just to see who's better, and for that, you know, one-onesmanship that everybody does whenever they play any competitive sport. So uh, that's tonight, Tuesday night. It'll be done by the time of recording. I'm sure you've heard all about it, listeners. Uh, and then Wednesday night at 8.30 Central Time, because we're in the Midwest, so everything's Central Time. Uh, on FS1, there'll be the MLS All-Star Game pitching those MLS All-Stars against Liga Emekis All-Stars. I don't know if Liga Emekis has ever compiled an All-Star team before. I could not find any documentation in a 
rather brief but pretty intensive search about that. And it's going to be, I would imagine, kind of exciting for them to play against the competitors on the other teams. Uh, same excitement rolls with again MLS to see some of these people. And there's a lot of crossovers and ties between the two leagues on their teams. Uh, however, we won't have uh, Javier Chicharito Hernandez or Carlos Vela uh, for the MLS side during this match. They're ruled out by injuries. But you got uh, Lucas Zelleron. Zelarayan of uh, Columbus Crew, who played in Liga MX, Raul Ruiz of the Seattle Sounders, he played in Liga MX. Uh, there's a lot of that sort of crossover going on uh, in this game. It's going to be exciting. There's also some uh, uh, U.S.-born players like Jonathan Rodriguez and a couple others that have declared for El Tri nationally to play in Liga MX. There's that crossover there. Uh, so we're excited about this. This is a big deal. Uh, maybe not in the grand scheme of things. It's just an exhibition. We'll see how the Liga MX players come out and compete. Uh, there seems to be a real desire uh, to compete when MLS and Liga MX come in, like in CONCACAF Champions League and the CCL, uh, to really put on a good show. I believe that MLS has really improved in that capability to compete with Liga Emekis. They're not there yet, but they've come a long way just in the last three, four years. The the growth of MLS on the field, off the field is exciting, and we're glad to be part of it. And uh, on Extra Time Radio from MLSsoccer.com, they did a live show yesterday at the All-Star events, and they had the... uh, president of Liga MX and uh, the commissioner MLS to both come on and speak for a few minutes. And both of them had some interesting things to say, especially with uh, Liga MX president um, Miguel Ariola, uh, who was quite forthright. Uh, one thing he did mention, there are 60 million followers of Liga MX in the U.S. One of the biggest sporting events in the U.S. for viewers, outside of the NFL, of course, is Liga MX games in the U.S. shown on Univision or Diodiné, whichever channel runs it. My Spanish is iffy, so I don't really tune in a lot. Though FS1 does carry at least one Liga MX game every week, and I try to watch that when I can. But uh, he did say that... Uh, Liga MX is very happy with the, all these tie-ins, all these competitions with MLS, uh, and says it's been a success in generating excitement for both their league and for MLS. They've been very happy about that. Part of that could be that uh, COVID has really taken its toll on, he said, a lot of the teams in Liga MX, uh, their game day revenue is down quite a bit, and some of the other things, and... Uh, with that, he said there's certain things that MLS is doing to generate income that they'd like to learn from. He did say that the owners are very impressed with how international MLS has become in a short time. You know, making trades, you know, trades, transfers over to Europe, that brings in income to the clubs. It's what the St. Louis City Academy is about. Only He said only five to seven teams in Liga MX are involved in that. Same could be said of MLS. 
perhaps only five to seven really doing it, but they're really doing it strongly and they're raking in revenue and the league itself has made that a priority and more and more teams have ramped up their academies and uh, like St. Louis City has made it a priority. I think they're going to be one of those clubs that's really looking at the academy to both build for the first team and to generate income through international transfers. So that was a kind of surprising to hear. Uh, he's also said that uh, the owners in Liga MX are very impressed with the amount of growth in MLS. It's got a 20% growth. He said M- uh, Liga MX only has 5% versus most of the big leagues in Europe that have 10% growth. A lot of that could be because of the low starting level that uh, MLS has gone with. It's now 25 years in, but there's still a lot of room for growth. And that says a lot about franchise fees and franchise valuations in MLS. There's a lot of room for growth. That's why it's a hot property. Yeah, a 20% growth is not sustainable. It says a lot that MLS is a young league that's been focused on growing aggressively. But it is a good sign that that plan of of aggressive expansion has worked. Yeah, it's not sustainable ad infinitum, but it is sustainable in the short term simply because the markets for soccer, though growing and quite big in the U.S., is still quite small based against the rather large population of the United States. There is one third of a billion people living in this country and you know, if you've only got 50 million people that follow soccer, that's a small percentage of the population. There is tremendous room for growth. Another thing he mentioned was that the Liga MX owners and club presidents were, you know, looking to learn from MLS about MLS's ability to put on a spectacle, the game day experience. And this goes into something I just read before we came in from Philip Felipe uh, Cardenas of The Athletic that said he spoke to a couple of club presidents from Liga MX, and they've been very impressed at how efficiently that MLS and Los Angeles itself has been able to coordinate and manage the festivities that are going around uh, this All-Star game. It's a big event. MLS is putting on a show. That's something that uh, Liga MX, and this has been known, they've talked about this even before perhaps Miguel Ariola was president of the league that uh, they wanted to learn from MLS how to do the game day experience. And uh, also one thing Ariola said is that uh, working with uh, Commissioner Don Garber, the MLS has been a very enjoyable experience. And he's been very impressed at uh, the way that Garber, what was his quote? Uh, Garber's ability of generating an environment for investment. In other words, how to market the league, how to do things like this, how to find things to do to get sponsors to come in to say, support the all-star game separate from all the other. Liga Emekis, like many soccer clubs around the world, are suffering after COVID. They need to find new streams of revenue. A uh, last thing that he did, he, I will say, is Liga Emekis owners told him that they've been very impressed with how many U.S. internationals are playing in Europe. Liga MX doesn't have a lot of Mexican internationals playing in Europe. A lot of that has to do with those owners themselves. They hoard they, those players. They hoard them. They put a high valuation upon them for sale over to Europe because they can get a high valuation within Liga MX. 
It is one of the richest leagues in the world, even though we're talking about their financial troubles, the support, the entrenchment, and how good the league is. It is one of the best leagues in the world. And MLS is learning from them and trying to get there. Yeah, the lack of uh, the lack of Liga Mekis players or Mexican players in Europe is not due to like a lack of skill at all. They're very talented players. It's because Liga Mekis wants to keep that talent intra league. They don't want to be selling players overseas. Yeah, it's it's the the Mexican league, the Mexican international team is is really focused on being Mexican. It's very cultural. That's more power to them, but is it sustainable in a global environment? And I think he's talking about how they need to relax some of those things. He did also mention how some of the uh, how they're going to be more. The league wants to be more accommodating of Mexican Americans who want to play in Liga MX. Places like Chivas uh, historically only take Mexican players, no internationals, even if they're Mexican Americans raised in the U.S. Uh, so the league is looking at expanding, and that's something that MLS, in its push to be legitimized, has had to grow and learn that Liga MX did not. Now in a new global market for the game, how can Liga MX grow if they're only getting 5% growth? They want to learn from MLS how they can do better. And that's the kind of things that they can start yeah. with. And then after he was done... uh Extra Time Radio had an interview with Commissioner MLS Commissioner Don Garber, the soccer Don, as he is on Twitter. Donnie! <laughs> and of course, uh, it, while it was fun to hear Ariola, Garber talked in much more corporate speak, as you would expect. Uh, that's kind of the society we live in the U.S. You decide if it's better or worse, lovely listener. Certainly much better to hear from Garber than, say, Gary Bettman from the NHL. <laughs> Gary Bettman is in just, he's indecipherable and he's a liar, just flat out. Don Garber, you still have to get your corporate corporate decoder ring out to understand what he's saying, but he's at least not lying. We're going to have to start a podcast for you and Sean to talk about the NHL <laughs> rather than on our soccer podcast. Of course, uh, you know, Blues fans... In St. Louis, are probably liking it. And welcome, Blues fans. I think you're going to like soccer a lot in <laughs> St. Louis. Uh, now, Commissioner Don Garber did say that uh, the discussion between the leagues, as we pretty much known, if you didn't know, have been going on for years. Talk about the All-Star Game has actually tried to be put forth for a long time. All-Star Games are a very much an American thing. They just don't exist. All-Star games don't... It was baseball. Baseball started the whole thing. And the baseball All-Star game, when the two leagues were completely disparate, didn't play each other until the World Series, played under different rules, had different commissioners of the leagues. You know, it's Major League Baseball, not Major League Baseball League. It's the umbrella of the two leagues that were there. That's getting grayed out in our modern society but that started the All-Star Game because it's the only time you could get the players for the best players from both leagues to see each other. It kicked off a phenomenon in the U.S. that, for better or for worse, uh, like the Pro Bowl in the NFL, for worse, that we have to live with. And that's why we have an MLS All-Star Game. Kudos, though, to Don Garber and Miguel Ariola for setting this up because... It breathes brand new life into this game. It's a whole nother part of the uh, U.S.-Mexico soccer 
uh, rivalry that is really one of the best in the world right now. And it's very heated. It's not as mean-spirited as it used to be when U.S. started getting good and Mexico didn't want them to be. It's more cordial and appreciative, but both sides really, really want to beat the other every time they meet up in any any game, any competition. Yeah, it's it's also it's definitely a really good way to take advantage of that and refresh the All-Star game, which in every sport, the All-Star game is always kind of a stinker because nobody wants to play that hard. Nobody wants to get hurt. You got to see everybody. So nobody actually gets any sustainable playing time. They're just snoozers. Generally. Yeah, it used to be that they bring in the big teams in Europe to come in and play during their preseason uh, play a competition. It was all well and nice before you could watch, before the U.S. actually had the greatest soccer television in the world experience where you can see any game you ever want to pretty much without going to uh, dodgy internet sites to do so. Uh, but once uh, Diego uh, Simeone and Atletico Madrid came in and decided to just straight up play the MLS All-Stars and spanked them 4-0. Kind of ran its course. <laughs> yeah, probably don't want to see a repeat of that one. Yeah, MLS is a very good growing lead. The quality of play on the field in my lifetime, hell, in the last three years, has grown a lot. But you're not going to compete with, you know, final 16 of the Champions League teams. Just not. Though uh, Seattle, after they whooped Tigres <laughs> in the League's Cup, will tell you otherwise. Uh, oh, the other thing Don Garber said is that he believes that these tie-ins are really great for the region. It lifts up the U.S. and Mexico. It puts the worldwide eye basically on the two countries. And he says it's good for CONCACAF. And I believe that. CONCACAF has been kind of shuttled off. And probably rightfully so as teams that play rather, as they say, agricultural-type soccer on some fields, as we'll find in World Cup qualifying, that are quite agricultural in the physical sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, MLS just, Liga MX has been a kind of a closed, you know, there's some internationals come in, it's really been for Mexicans, they've developed some players of uh, quality around CONCACAF, but not really. MLS has been quite open and really has provided a high-level professional uh, league for teams, players from like Jamaica, Costa Rica, even Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, a lot of these places can come in and get high-level experience in coaching, and it's really helped in all of CONCACAF. The games are more competitive, uh, and that's only good for the U.S. and Mexico. Not does the whole region get better and the teams are better, but it forces U.S. and Mexico to have to play other competitive games other than just against each other. And I know both countries really wanted that because both teams want to go past the first game of the knockout round, especially Mexico, who hasn't hasn't done it since the U.S. did in 2002. <laughs> it's a big deal in Mexico. Yeah, but it, it's a bit of a rising tide situation, right? Yeah, rising tide raises all boats. It's a perfect analogy. It's actually what they're talking about. Uh, ask what uh, MLS could learn from Liga Emekis and all these tie-ins. And Commissioner Don Garber basically said MLS is the new kid on the block. It's 25 years, but most of these other leagues are 100 years plus. 
including Luya and Mackie's. So they're the new kids. Uh, they have to learn things like how to play at a higher quality, which MLS has been doing and is on a great path word up, but they still got room to go as you would expect. And also he did mention something about how to develop big teams, which was surprising considering the enforced uh, parity in MLS. But I think he also sees that big teams gen uh, generate excitement and press outside, both in the U.S. and worldwide. Yeah. Perhaps the pressure to do both is about the same, yeah. to be honest. I mean, like, there's a reason why people even in Europe talk about the Seattle Sounders, but nobody's talking about FC Cincinnati over there unless they're trying to make fun of the whole league, you know? Well, yeah, you can also say the same thing was we'll bring up the team Bournemouth. If they were in the EPL before that, no one, does anybody even know where Bournemouth is? Quite frankly... I'm not even sure, and I've been following the EPL for years. I'm willing to guess that it might be in Bournemouth. Yeah, but where is Bournemouth? <laughs> Bournemouth. Well said. <laughs> uh, Don Garber uh, also said that uh, MLS, moving into the global market as they've done recently and with some big success, uh, transfer-wise out, not necessarily all in, isn't as much as MLS turning into a selling league. He said it's more of a, a as a balance. There's still room, as as shown, as we'll see in the All Star rosters. There's pretty good talent coming into the MLS that does want to play here, uh, especially in South America. They like to come to MLS. First of all, better lifestyle than some places uh, with that their society is falling apart. Let's say uh, the other part is you get paid every week in MLS. That doesn't necessarily even go in, say, the Argentinian league uh, with this high-quality play and all that talent. The league is better run, no matter how you think about if it should be run this way or not. It is better run, and players get paid every week. That doesn't necessarily go in this region or in a lot of regions of the world. So that's important. And perhaps the most interesting thing he said was when talking about the CONCACAF Champions League, the CCL, and how he was disappointed and a little, you know, distraught and angry about uh, the failures of MLS teams to, you know, win a final or this year only one team advanced. Uh, and he said, one thing that we've learned is MLS teams need deeper rosters. What's your thoughts on that, Mason? Well, Donnie, that sounds like a UP. Yeah, if you're not going to get deeper rosters the way MLS is set with its roster spin rules, when it really pays for all the teams to spend more on attacking talent to put goals in. There's Tam helped a lot, but that really helped a lot. Not so much for the depth of the roster, where it really helped was filling in the midfield with better players and the defensive end, but the depth into the bench the only way that got strengthened was pay, pushing those players that were probably a little suboptimal in quality down to the bench where they probably should have been all along uh yeah you want a deeper bench you want all this you're going to structure where you can't spin on attacking players that's not going to help mls's growth you want these new owners that want to spend to be competitive you want to give them a longer leash to spend i can go on this forever but yeah do you Disagree, Mason? No, I mean, the the core of the issue, right, is like, you know, this is like this isn't a uh, something that Don can do unilaterally, but 
it's up to him. It's not necessarily up to the clubs because there's there's the enforced parity. There's, you know, the roster restrictions, all of this, that that stuff comes down from the head office of the league. Like it, like I said, it's not something that he can change unilaterally. It needs to be a consensus decision, but that's not something that can change on a club level. That changes on a league level. And who's the commissioner of the league, Donnie? Well, he is. But also in American sports, the commissioner is just the head guy. The leagues are really run by the owners. They hire the commissioner to guide the league through these things and try to build consensus a consensus amongst the owners themselves. Yeah. One thing that Miguel Ariola said was that he was impressed and La Liga could probably, uh, not La Liga, Liga MX could learn from MLS is the, the ability to generate revenue, the strength of the rules and roster rules, and the power of the commissioner's office, which is surprising. Don Garber holds a lot of power, but he's beholden in making these changes to avoid the owners to tell you how loosely run Liga Emekis is. So all of this was, you know, made us all think we have all these other ideas. Uh, but otherwise, the whole point of this is the game on Wednesday night, which I really hope the Liga Emekis players buy into this, that they're finding it exciting, that the game will be fun and competitive that's what i expect not nasty like a world cup qualifying or a you know gold cup final can be because it's not competitive it is an exhibition game but they're both going to want to win i think it should be fun i want to see i'm looking forward to it i want to see 22 red cards <laughs> well there is unlimited uh uh roster substitutions in this because it is an all-star game you bring all these people over let them play Unless they had too much fun at the uh, festivities, the big boy concert after the skills uh, thing tonight. Uh, they had a little too much fun. Maybe they're not ready to play tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, and a couple other things about the All-Star game. Christian rolled on the Seattle Sounders by vote of the fans, which means every Sounders fans voted like continuously for four days straight as they are wont to do, uh, is the captain of the team. Uh, the coach is Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley says, given what Roldan's done this year with Seattle and the success Seattle's had, uh, he deserves it. He probably does, because with Nicholas Lodero out for Seattle, uh, their playmaker, Roldan's done a very good job. He's not a replacement, but he's done a very good job of sort of manage that. And then we saw in the Gold Cup that he'd come in the 65th minute, and without putting, being able to ever put a finger on it, the team just played better the second he came on the field in almost every game. There was a couple other things. Uh, Lucas Zalarian of Columbus uh, did a little interview. This was on MLSsoccer.com in which he uh, said that the, the gap, be, have, him having played, I believe it was for Club America. I don't recall. I think so. Not Tigres. I believe it was Club America. But uh, he came over. Uh, to MLS, he says the gap between the quality of the two leagues is is diminished greatly. He did say that in MLS, he's found that uh, it is more generated to the physicality and the physical aspects of the players and at the top end, while Liga Emekis is more technical and looks at uh, depth and quality throughout the whole roster. 
I think we all knew that. Nothing surprising. Also, Rogelio Funes Mori is uh, on the uh, Liga Emeki's all-star team. He, as a teenager, his family was an economic refugee uh, from Argentina, and he did live in Texas for a while as a teenager, and he talked about how exciting it is for him to be able to come in, come back, see this game, see these two teams you know, play together, and he was excited to be back in America. Kind of heartwarming. Nice words. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of wraps up the coverage we had of the All-Star Game and uh, what we've learned. Speaking to the two presidents of the the leagues, more and more when they're talking like this and they get together, we're finding out more and more that they're getting tighter together. Is that often rumored merger coming? I don't see it. Do you see that coming, Mason? I mean, it, I think it would be very funny to see a North American Super League, but no, it's it's untenable, right? So I think that this is kind of plan B, right, is to bring the two leagues into very close cooperation because a league of that size, if they actually merged and became like a North American Super League proper, would be simply untenable. The weather differences are too vast. The seasons would have to be too long, too many teams. I just I don't see something like that, a proper merger really happening. So it feels like this is the fallback is to bring the the two leagues into very close cooperation and competition. Yeah, I believe that's what the uh, League's Cup is trying to be. It needs to be taken more seriously by the teams and by the leagues, by the fans. But I believe that's what it's building to. And it has a possibility of given time and keep going that it could become very exciting. If you get the top teams from both leagues getting to play in a little cup competition of their own uh adds more games players won't like coaches really won't like you'll get things like peter vermees choosing league over cup which happens in every country in the world uh, where you're going to have blowouts and embarrassments it's not great right now but there is yeah. a real chance for something special if it keeps going. Yeah, these things, these kind of things are always trade-offs. There's very rarely a like a full like slam dunk decision to be made here, but it comes really close to um, you know bringing the U.S. into more of a cup uh, cup competition style like they have in Europe, whereas right now we really just have like the MLS Cup and the Champions League, and that's about it. Um, and. Uh, with all that, also there's some other MLS news, and uh, harking back to what we were saying about the, the MLS's ability to transfer players over to Europe that has impressed uh, Liga Emeki's owners, New England Revolution uh, defensive back and Canadian national team member Tejan Buchanan has completed a transfer to Belgium. He'll be playing for Club Bruges, who often most often plays in Champions League as well. Uh, it will be effective at the end of the season, so he'll be with the Revs until the end of the season, and right now they're on top of the supporter shield and looking a strong bet to go to MLS Cup Finals. Uh, reports are it's a $7 million transfer fee and a 10% sell-on of him. You know, if he transfers out, they'll get 10% of that transfer fee, and uh, it's kind of exciting. The Revolution are not known for doing transfers. Bruce Arena's not known for doing anything but caring about his team winning MLS Cup at the end of the season. It, it, when Bob Kraft and the New England Revs are 
exploring the global market, you know things have changed in MLS. A couple other things I want to talk about. There's Atlanta United. Boy, they've been a mess this year. All of a sudden, they fire Gabriel Henze as their coach. They bring in Rob Valentino as an interim coach who'd been assistant there for a long time. And then they hire Gonzalo uh, Pineda, well-respected assistant coach and longtime assistant coach with the Seattle Sounders. They've now gone, well, they haven't lost in five games. They won four of those. They're all of a sudden tied with DC United in points for the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, They're behind on goal differential, I believe it is. But uh, all of a sudden, we're thinking, the new coach, how is he going to get him in a playoff hunt? Before he can even coach the team, they're dead set in the middle of the playoff hunt. It's amazing. The team looks so much better. Looks like it should have looked all along. Big change in the wins for for Atlanta United. It seemed like they were just going to falter and fall off the table. And here they are, right back at it. So it's exciting. And they're playing good soccer. And... A lot of the players that were brought in that look like bust are looking Marcelino Moreno, especially looks like a completely different player in the last month than he did the whole rest of the season. And Atlanta United is a big club in MLS. It's a known club around the world. I mean, they're the ones that transferred Ezekiel Barco to Newcastle United in the English Premier League for 20 plus million dollars. They've got a worldwide stage. It's good for MLS if they're competing and they're winning. Maybe not necessarily good for the fans of other teams around there, but it's good for the league overall. Yeah. Another one is uh, the Seattle Sounders. Ooh, boy. They won again. Defending, playing a rematch of last year's MLS finals against uh, Columbus Crew. And Columbus had the lead going into the last 10 minutes and in about two minutes Seattle soul stole their soul. It, it ripped their heart right out of them. It was the soccer game equivalent of that elevator scene in the movie Drive where Ryan Gosling stomps the, the guy's head in. It was brutal. <laughs> uh, yeah, Seattle, again, just, just showing that the Revolution had the points in the Eastern Conference, but Seattle just, uh, except for the window of the Gold Cup when they lost you know, half their team to international duty, They've been lights out. Kudos to Brian Smetzer and everybody at the Sounders for their culture there. They're very impressive. They just keep doing it year after year after year. So you might get sick of them, but you got to respect them. Yeah. And Columbus has really been struggling this season as well. That's been a little oh. heartbreaking to see after everything that brought them back from the brink. And then they win the cup. They get their new stadium. They get in their new home and just can't put it together. It's not nice to see. It you know nobody saw it coming, but perhaps we should have. This has been Caleb Porter's, you know, uh, modus operandi ever since he left the University of Akron to come to MLS with the Portland Timbers. Every time they had a good year, the next year would be really bad. I think uh, the Timbers won the MLS Cup that year over Columbus and uh, didn't even make the playoffs the next year. They're looking very much like that again. I put out questions and feelers to people. What can explain this? It's really hard to say. It, it is a repeating thing throughout his coaching career. He's a pretty uh, emotional coach. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Maybe he gets too high after a win and 
gets a little too low the next season? Don't know. That's just me speculating, and what do I know? Uh, another one that stands out in MLS is all of a sudden, Inter-Miami's pretty good. Who saw that coming? I sure didn't. Rodolfo Pizarro, who's been a failure as a DP coming from Liga MX, in the last month has just been doing things that he should have been doing for two years. Gonzalo Higuain coming in from, you know, he was a golden boot winner in Serie A, comes in and he just didn't work and didn't do anything till eventually Phil Neville benched him. That seemed to have been the spark that woke up this club. Ever since then, Higuain is putting away his chances. He's looking much better. His uh, brother, uh, Federico, long time of Columbus, uh, has done very good work, even though he's getting really at the end of his career. And you have to say kudos to Phil Neville. Three weeks ago, you thought he's next to be fired. He's an abject failure. All of a sudden, they don't look like it. We'll see if it's sustainable. Uh, interesting note about Inter Miami. Uh, it came out in The Athletic. I believe it was Paul Tenario with some help from Stam Stashko that uh, when Inter Miami got busted for all their problems with too many DPs and their payments under the table and all that, MLS found out about it because one of the co-owners who's now trying to sell his part of the club turned them in. The Dark. owner turned in his own club. Narc. Strange things in Inner Miami. <laughs> you got to keep an eye on that. That's the best drama. No, you have David Beckham, but you got all this too. They're, they're fun in a bad way. <laughs> and Columbus is having its struggles. Let's not put past, uh, you know, our MLS all-star coach, Bob Bradley. Uh, his LAFC are just, wow, something's gone wrong there. Carlos Vela all of a sudden doesn't seem interested in playing. He's been hurt. Uh, they're attacking juggernaut. Nobody seems to be able to score a goal. They're still dominating possession. They're still creating incredible scoring chances. They don't score. And given the fact their defense ever since Nashville money whipped them for Walker Zimmerman has fallen to pieces. And they're now getting injuries in their back line. That's not going to get better. They're in free fall. Uh, they lost Tuesday to... A surprisingly very good Colorado Rapids team. I guess Stan, Stan Kroenke's over in London. Uh, and uh, they also lost Saturday to Real Salt Lake, who has some exciting players, but they haven't got the pieces all together this year. It's looking bad in LAFC. We yeah. got Atlanta United up. Now we need to get LAFC up yeah. and see how that goes. But you got anything to add about uh, what you noticed in MLS in the past week or so? Not really. I just wanted to touch on how much of a bummer it is what's happening in LAFC because they were really exciting to watch early in the season. Um, and they, they've been fun to watch pretty much since they came in. And it's another, it's like Columbus. It's it's kind of sad to see him just fall to pieces again. It uh, There's a lot going into it, but it really seems to me like Bob Bradley's a pretty intense coach. And it just seems... I've mentioned this before in an earlier podcast, just seems to me like the players have tuned him out. Unfortunately, it looks like Bob's on the hot seat. Who would have thought? Yeah. It's a shame. He's a legend among U.S. coaches, but every coach has a limited amount of time with the club. Maybe it's his time to go. We'll have to see how things go. Uh, he looks very frustrated with what's going on as well. I would be too. Yep. 
So that wraps up our coverage of MLS All-Star and the MLS. I said the MLS. Boy, I'd smack myself up the head every time I say that. <laughs> MLS in general. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the rosters for Window 1 and World Cup qualifying for the U.S. men's national team. And we'll be back with those discussions very shortly. See you on the other side. Welcome back to the Soccer Capital Podcast after that break. And uh, welcome words from our sponsor. Uh, we have no sponsor. <laughs> if interested, reach us at soccercapital at gmail.com. Thank you for sponsoring us. Yes, whoever you are. Thank you in advance. <laughs> it's much appreciated. Well, we're going to shift uh, gears a little bit here on the podcast today. We're going give to give you our thoughts on what the U.S. men's national team, you know, World Cup qualifying roster should be in the first window that starts on September 2nd. There will be three games in seven days on this so expect a lot of rotation you're not going to see the a team play all of these games it's just not feasible especially since most of them play in europe and their season just started they're not truly in game shape yet so there's going to have to be rotation also keep in mind that this roster between you know what we saw in the gold cup what we saw in the nations league and the others that might have been injured or out uh, they barely ever played together, if at all. So there's going to be some shaky moments, but the talent is there. So we really want to see them start out very strong. Seven points out of the uh, three games, it should be what they're aiming for. And if they get nine, really they're in a great shape to go ahead and already qualify can't take it for granted, but that puts them in just in the driver's seat to get through the octagonal, as it's now called. Uh, we're expecting, and Berhalter said this, expect a 26-man roster, a pretty expanded roster, because there's so many games. There's so much travel. They're going to be in El Salvador. They're going to be in, where is it, Kansas City to play Canada, and then they're going to Guatemala. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of games and a lot of travel in one short week. Plus, all the European players have to fly over from Europe and then fly back and then get ready to play their games in their leagues, which generally have a little more contracted season as well, thanks to COVID. Uh, expect this, this roster to be pretty conservative. There's already been a few breakout youngsters out there looking at Joe Scali at Munchengal Block as one don't really see him fitting in here he needs to be brought in he looks great something the team needs let's see if he fulfills it we're not looking for flyers on this roster Burhalter, i think is also going to feel like we feel that this team needs to get a good hard start just bring the guys that the coach counts on and has proven themselves somewhat in um, international play yeah, I'm expecting this roster to largely be the kind of foundational players that you then build pieces on top of. Yeah. And another thing is, you know, all of a sudden, just bang, we've got a very, very deep player pool for the national team, something we've probably never seen. 
there's a lot of good players that are going to be left off rosters, especially those of you that are on, you know, national team soccer Twitter, have your pet projects that you want to see play no matter what. Chances are they're not going to get called in in every window. Also, recall there's three games in seven days, and then the next window opens in one month. So there's a lot of games. There's a lot of windows in a very short period. A lot of people are going to get a chance to run out. And we would like to see a lot of these players come out into this window, the newish hot things, uh, get their chance and run out. A good start in this first qualifying window will allow Berhalter to experiment a little bit more and bring more people in. So as we go through this, keep in mind that we're looking for a very conservative roster. Yeah, the better that we perform in this window, the more chances that those kids will have to see runs run outs because the games won't be as important. Yeah, and we are also, you know, we're 14 months away from the World Cup itself, which is qualifying so important you can't plan or play in the World Cup unless you qualify, as we learned four years ago. Yeah. Uh, but who you see in qualifying in this window doesn't necessarily mean that these are the players that are going to be playing in the World Cup. Mm. Keep that in mind. Things will change. Great players now that seem to be written in ink might be iffy. Club time might disappear. Injuries could play themselves. They won't be in the World Cup. So the more that we can get in to the mix and the better they play together and get mixed in with people that get more seniority and more playing time, the better for them. It's a interesting process and one we're going to follow closely. One thing to keep in mind is Jossi Zardis is out. He's got a hamstring injury. He's not available for this window. That makes an already thin striker roster or depth chart very thin. Christian Pulisic, even though vaccinated, did test positive for COVID uh, this past week. We don't know his status. We haven't heard anything. If he's vaccinated, it's probably not really going to be a serious illness for him. But he has to go through testing protocols, self-quarantine. What's his delay? Uh, we really aren't expecting him to play that first game on September 2nd at the very against least. El Salvador. Yeah, at the very least. Uh, Daryl DK didn't have a great showing at the Gold Cup in that last game. Was it the last game against Mexico where it looked like he hurt his shoulder at the end? Yeah. yeah he, took a uh, he hasn't really played since. Uh, not expecting him to be on this roster. Tim Ream, St. Louis's own uh, with Fulham. Left the last game injured. Don't know if he was on the roster. There's not a lot of veteran presence. He would have been one that possibly could have been on this team for veteran presence. Don't know his status. And uh, so he's got iffy on this. Paul Ariola has limped off. He's had his knee problems. Don't know if he's going to be here. Don't know if he's been in the lineup or not. Another one that we'd all like to see because of what we've seen in friendlies is Eunice Musa. But he's been hurt all season. He hasn't played a game yet. He didn't play games in the Nations League. Don't know if it was injury or coach's decision. Still very young. Uh, but he hasn't played, so we're not expecting him to be available at all. So we're going to break it down by position. And we're going to start off with goalkeepers. And Mason, who do you think will start? Or, or who do you think will be on the roster? On the roster? I mean, it's Stefan Turner and Horvath, right? 
Right. You would think. Yeah. I think it'll be uh, Zach Steffen mm -hmm. because he's been with the team. Berhalter trusts him. And Steffen has, while Turner has certain attributes that are better than Steffen, Steffen has other attributes that are perhaps a little more confidence building in the head coach than, say, Turner. He's a bit better, well-rounded player. Uh, a little bit. It's going to be tough. Horvath, in his club situation, he moved to Nottingham Forest. He's playing in cup competitions. He's not getting regular playing time. Don't know how that's going to go. The only uh, other one I can think of is Brad Guzan of Atlanta United has been playing extremely well this year after a tough year last year. And perhaps he takes that third goalkeeper spot for the veteran presence, the one who's been there through these wars before, and be in the locker room and help out all the younger guys because it's going to be almost all younger guys. Very few have ever been through this experience, maybe three or four uh, at tops as we go through this list. So veteran presence is going to be important, and it shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, off-field stuff is as important. These are not machines. They are men. Keep that in mind. Please. Please, 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 please. Uh, center back. Uh, kind of strong. Kind of not. It's kind of tough to come up with a definitive. I myself, I don't know if Mason agrees, but I think that uh, John Brooks and Miles Robinson have shown, proven themselves over the summer that they should start. I absolutely agree with Robinson for sure. And Brooks is absolutely in there. He's been through the wars. He's a veteran presence. He's one of the finest cornerbacks in the Bundesliga. Not cornerbacks. Centerbacks in the Bundesliga. Uh, I think he's the lock. His ability to pass out of the back. He's not athletic, but just his command of the area and everything else makes him the lock. The question is who's playing next to him. A lot of talk about Chris Richards. Uh, the young player left the... FC Dallas Academy went over to Bayern Munich. Hasn't had a lot of playing time with Munich. Did go on alone and played quite a few games and did well at Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. That puts him on the list. But a lot of the things you expect him to do, which he couldn't do because he was injured for the Nations League or the Gold Cup, probably the Nations League Gold Cup, he probably was with his team or trying to sort out where he's going to be. Miles Robinson did in competitive situations and did an exemplary job uh so robinson is he should be there could be a flyer though when you look at some of the other ones walker zimmerman got hurt in the gold cup very early on he's a leader he doesn't have all this experience he's very good in the box on set pieces something he's one of the best that we've seen in the u.s pool but is he good enough? Is he shown enough? Is he ready for this step? I don't know. We mentioned Tim Ream. He's a favorite of Burhalter, uh, getting long in age, but he's a veteran presence. He knows what to do. He knows not to get too flustered. May not have the athleticism, but how much is going to be asked, especially, say, against El Salvador or Guatemala. You're probably going to need the better ones against Canada, which is probably the big matchup in this setup. And it, I doubt we see all three, uh, you know, all three games with the same center back pairing. Some rotation there. Anyone else? Mark McKenzie could be in play. Uh, he had that bad 
thing in the Nations League at the start of the Mexico game, had some shaky moments. He recovered very well from that, learned a lot, but his not playing at Gank uh, for his club team, we'll see how that goes. I wouldn't exactly be surprised to see him on the roster, but I don't expect him to start a lot. And if he won is James Sands. Could be on this roster. Will he be listed as a center back? Will he be listed as a, a defensive midfielder playing the six? In case he's there for if they go to a three-man rotate, you know, a three-man back line, he, that's what he does at club. Does it very well. Whether you want to call it a six playing in between the two or the, you know, part of that three-man center back, back line rotation, it gives the ability for Burhalter to change on the fly, which he did show during the summer that he could do. Moving on to the next place is a defensive back. You know, the right back, you got Serginio Dest. Uh, deficient in defense, fantastic in offense, but he's a starter. He's, he's a right end. Some of the other options over there is Shaq Moore. Did very well in the Nations League, but hasn't got a lot of play. DeAndre Yedlin has been playing in Turkey, which is a very good league. Uh, has been starting, playing well. Has been through these wars. One of the few that's played and started in a World Cup against Belgium. He made his name in that game, going against Eden Hazard and all those people on that Belgian team in 2014. And Reggie Cannon is there. I got a feeling Cannon's going to be on the roster, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Though I could see Yedlin, very well could see Yedlin. They they need veterans in this roster. At left back, you got Anthony Robinson, who did score today uh, for Fulham in a League's Cup game against Bournemouth. Fulham won 6-0. I don't know what's happened to Bournemouth. They just dropped out of the EPL, and now they're terrible. Bad showing there. Uh, who else is going to back up on this side? you got Sam Vines. You've got George Bello. I would expect Vines. This is a place where Joe Scally's a right back, plays at left back, has been starting there for uh, Gladbach because they've needed it because of injury, and the coach has been very impressed in his ability to play both positions. Is he ready to be called in for a World Cup qualifier? That's up to Burhalter. I'm thinking on this one not, but we're a little thin on the side. We got a deep roster, but nobody stands out. And there could be other names I'm leaving off, and if so, at Soccer Capital on Twitter, light me up. Central defensive midfield, that's Tyler Adams. He's already played for Leipzig. Jesse Marsh is going to play there with the club. He just had an absolutely great performance for Leipzig in the Bundesliga. He's a lock-in, but he's, he's not going to play all the games. He runs too hard. Can't risk injury to him. He is a linchpin of this first team. Uh, Kellen Acosta has to be there. Yeah. After his performance in the Nations League and in the uh, Gold Cup as well, he's kind of locked it down. He's all of a sudden become a veteran leader, though he hasn't been through with all these international wars. He seems to have really grown up. It'd be an absolute stunner if Acosta somehow wasn't there. Yeah, and uh, Acosta also gives you flexibility because he can also play higher up on the pitch or lower back. He's got that ability now. He has. He just earned it. He played his way into it. And the other one here is James Sands, as we mentioned. I would imagine that somewhere in here he might make the roster because of that ability to really tighten down a three-man back line if Burhalter decides they need it. He knows how to do it. 
He's very good at that. He's not a good center back in a two-man pairing. That's not his game. Uh, whether he's listed as a center back or a you know, defensive midfielder doesn't matter really in the grand scheme of things. Uh, he's got a real shot at being on the roster. Don't know if he will or not. Then moving a little further up the field in the regular central midfield, you got uh, Weston McKinney. He's going to be there. His leadership, his attitude, his whatever, whatever you want to call it, uh, he, he deserves to be there. What he's going to get is playing time at Juventus. There's been discussions about him moving to a, you know, pretty high-level Premier League team recently. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But right now, he's in absolutely. Uh, Sebastian Legette. It perhaps didn't have the greatest showing in the Gold Cup, and the League Cup was not as great as we've seen, but he has a long history, and he seems to play very, very well with the A-team. Yeah, what he did with the Nations League was, was really impressed me. He was he was the anchor. He every, like Almost every play that went through the midfield, it started or ended with him. It it came through him at some point. Yeah, and the other thing that he does is he plays off of, say, like Gio Reyna or Pulisic, especially Pulisic. If one of them get creative and they moved inside, he'll move outside. He's unselfish in that way. Been a lot of talk about Gio Reyna coming in to play this position. He's starting to do it with uh, Dortmund. Uh, Marco Rosa might play him there. Seems well-suited. But quite frankly, I'd rather have him out as an attacking player and have Legette in the middle because Legette is so selfless and does the dirty work. Reyna is more of attacking and a little more selfish player. Not a knock against him, but he has more of a notes for the goal. Uh, you need to have the guys that can tie the team together. They're very important. And coming to that, Christian Roldan's very much in the mix. He doesn't play very well centrally. But on the outside, he does pretty well. He's had an exceptional season for his club. He had a very good season in the Gold Cup by tying the team together. And his biggest hallmark is he just has an exceptional soccer IQ. He's a coach in making. Uh, could be worthwhile taking a shot on him. Maybe not start these games. Maybe start, say, the Guatemala game. Don't know. I do see him be on the roster. Yeah, I'd certainly be surprised if he doesn't make it in some capacity. Yeah. A uh, couple other ones to mention here. Eric Williamson or uh, Jean-Luc Obuzio in this position. I don't see him coming in for this one. Uh, Williamson didn't really, little too free with the ball possession in the midfield. I don't know if Berhalter trusts him. Buzio just moved to Venice with Venezia and Serie A. He also had his ups and downs. I'd put him above Williamson, to be honest. But right now, I don't know if this team needs it. There's enough people that can shuffle between positions in what we're thinking about here to fill out a roster. Definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Busio in the second window, though. Or, or third or fourth. Yeah. Right, exactly. There's a lot of games in World Cup qualifying. This is extremely important to get the points now so we don't have to stress it. And we don't have to put stress on all of our A-level players because not all of them are written in ink, even though they're playing for the best teams in the world. 
they're not necessarily solid starters with them. They still have things to earn, but they're also very young. And the travel, like we said, it's hard. Maybe don't call in Pulisic, who has had a history of injuries. Maybe don't call him in for every window. You get all the points out of this window, you don't have to. Uh, Pulisic, we, you know, he's here. Like, he could get off the plane, not with any training, show up in Kansas City for the Canada game. He's in the lineup. Uh, whether he plays the whole game or if he's effective, that's another thing. Yeah, uh, as, Gio, long, as long as he's clear, Pulisic's in the game. Yeah, Gio Reyna is going to be here. Uh, Brendan Aronson just has really upped his game. He needed that move over to Salzburg, saw some growth potential with the Union, got to Europe. He's growing up. He's probably going to make a move. I don't know if this year, but next year, his game has really improved over there in the Red Bull system. Timothy Weah with Lille. Uh, expect to see him here. I think those four are really written in. Uh, Conrad De La Fuente, uh, playing with the Marseille, has been lights out early on. He did have a call-up for those European friendlies. Remember, against Wales, he actually started a game. So he has been in the system and in camp. Never really played with Barcelona. He's just now starting this European season with a new and looks like greater prospects for play. Will they bring him in? Will they make him wait for the next one? I don't know. Like to see him. Is there room on the roster? I don't know. Could be because Paul Ariola seems to be hurt. And Paul Ariola does a lot of things great, except he can't score. <laughs> His finishing <laughs> touch. You know, if, if if he could put the, the biscuit in the basket, he might be a right-in starter. I tell you who this team does need and who would be really challenging to play at least one of these games would be uh, Jordan Morris. But, of course, he's hurt again. The quality he had last year for club and country was outstanding. He really would have he'd have pushed Aronson and Wea back. He was that good. Will he come back from his knee injury? You know, as good as he came back from the first one, boy, if he does, look out. He's full of talent, but I don't know. But he's not available. There is a very real chance he would be available, uh, perhaps in the later uh, qualifying windows, and especially for the World Cup. We'll just have to see how he heals. But uh, high hopes for him, actually. I'm a fan. And then we finally we get to uh, the striker, Josh Sargent. He scored today. He scored two goals for Norwich City. And, yeah, he played. He scored. I didn't see the game. News is he looked pretty good. Uh, don't see anybody else here that's going to really take this away from him. Except for perhaps Jordan Peefock, also known as Cibichu, who has been lights out for young boys. Uh, had a late stoppage, I believe it was stoppage time winner for them in a U, uh, Champions League qualifier. He's been playing very well. I expect to see him on the roster. A couple of other ones. Matthew Hoppy could be as a wing, could be as a striker. He could push somebody like Conrad or Ariel if he's available out just because of what he showed. Positionally, he's got a lot to learn, but he brought excitement, and he was one of the people that really tried to make things happen. 
I could see him getting on the roster. Yeah. I think he earned it. Yeah, I think Hoppy played his way into a roster spot somewhere in this. Maybe if not in this window, in one of them. Because he, he played quite well. Uh, MLS brings us a couple of other options up front. Uh, one is Ricardo Pepe of FC Dallas, who's been very hot, very highly thought of, very young, but also recruited very heavily by the Mexican national team as well. If he agrees to come into camp, you know, do you put him on the roster just so he can have the chance to look around in your first World Cup qualifying? Sounds great as a recruiting effort. But if he's not willing to commit to playing to be capped, I say don't bring him here. Uh, you just need, you don't have room for these World Cup qualifiers. And the other one is CJ Sapong. Right now, absolutely the hottest American striker. Been off our radar forever. He's been playing so well for Nashville for the last, you know, month. He's a high hand. If you believe in the high hand, he'll be there. I'm not counting on it. I think it'll be Hoppy, Sargent, and uh, Peafock. Hoppy also being able to play on the wing. I don't know how much he'd play there to start any of the bigger games. Guatemala, second half, come in on the wing. Or come in if things just are just not happening offensively, just to bring him on for excitement. you have any uh, other thoughts on this? Anybody else stick in your mind? No, that's pretty much it. That's about what I got. Uh, yeah. Just there's uh, the injuries and stuff. It leaves a lot of question marks. Um, like there's a lot of people who are there's not a lot of people who are in with a bullet. You know, there's a lot of, you know, maybe they could do this. They could do that. They could do that for how deep this pool is. It It's surprising the gaps. Yeah. And Burhalter talked about this. Part of the reason for splitting up into the two teams over the summer was to build this depth because he anticipates big problems with so many World Cup windows all crammed together that we've got coming up from September through March, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. He's anticipating COVID problems, travel problems, injury problems. He needed a lot of depth and might have to use it all. Like I said, some players you really like and highly rate won't make one window, but they can make the next. The other thing to keep in mind is this isn't like the Gold Cup. Your rosters aren't set in stone. Somebody get injured in the first game, you can call somebody in if they can get there uh, for the next game. That probably limits it really to probably MLS players uh, proximity-wise. Realistically, yeah. Yeah, because three games in seven days. If you want to bring somebody in, you got cover for Canada, you want to bring somebody into Guatemala, that could happen with a little bit more notice. We'll just have to see how it goes. But that's our ideas. The actual rosters, we're recording late because we're afraid they might drop them tonight, Tuesday night. Uh, they could very well, when this podcast is available on Wednesday, it could very well be at the halftime of the MLS All-Star Game. It's been known to happen that they get announced, which would be tomorrow night. And hopefully you listen to this before then <laughs> and see how right and wrong. We'll be watching to see how right and wrong we are as well. We'll be taking notes. This has been a long episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. We appreciate you listening to us. Uh, remember, please uh, go ahead and follow, subscribe with your favorite podcaster of choice to this podcast, and rate and review it really helps us out. We're trying really hard to bring quality product to you, so go ahead and follow us out and 
rate and review. We appreciate it. And that kind of wraps it up for this week. I am your host, Mike Turner. And with me is my producer, Mason. And we're going to say good night. Bye for now.